My guest is Tia Moore. He and his wife, Susie, more than a half a century of ministry together, including campus and pastoral ministry, theological education, and leadership training. In fact, I met TM more than a decade ago when he was dean of the Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Now, TM is principal at the Fellowship of the Alba, a brotherhood committed to the revival of the kingdom of God. He's written more than 30 books. Susie is his editor on all of them. His latest, yeah. The Church Captive, is uh, perfect for our discussion about the post-COVID church. He and Susie live in the Champlain Valley of Vermont, have four children, eight grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. Welcome, TM, to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Good to be here. Good to be here with this subject. Good to see you again, sir. Hey. You repeat Paul's challenge to the church to make sure it's not captive of culture. How's it doing? Well, as I said in my book, you know, a lot of people are raising questions about this. A lot of well-known people, people much better known in their writings and their ministries than, than I am, and saying, in effect, that the church has become too enculturated with the, the secular, narcissistic, materialistic entertainment culture of our time. And that's causing us to lose not only our distinctives as the body of Christ, but the power that goes with that. And there are a lot of people making calls now for the church to examine themselves, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves. Look at what you're doing. Make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, uh, and I think it's a timely call and an important one for churches today. What are the most obvious signs to you of this accommodation? Well, there, you know, there's so many of them. I would say the most obvious one is our tendency to equate church with things like buildings and programs. That uh, when you ask people, uh, when people ask you, where do you go to church? We, we shouldn't answer by saying, I go to that church in that building over there. We should have a different answer. We say, well, I don't go to church. I am the church. <laughs> I'm part of the church, all the church in this whole community. And, and yet we tend to think in terms of buildings. We tend to think in terms of programs. We, could, we misconstrue the whole meaning of discipleship by making that sort of, a, of an optional choice for people. We offer programs, but then we say, you know, if you want to come, fine. If not, don't. And so 80% of the people don't come. And we're basically saying to them, you can define Christianity on your own terms. Take as much or as little as you need of Christ and of this church, and you'll be just fine, just as long as you come back next week and don't go to the church down the road. So I, th I think in many ways, we just have said, we're going to do what we see succeeds in the world. We're going to run programs. We're going to build buildings. We're going to hype our worship with all kinds of contemporary things. And whatever the scripture may have to say about these things, we'll have to take second place behind what we choose to do in the times in which we live. I think it's a real evidence that we are captive to a culture and we've lost sight of the plain teaching of scripture on a lot of subjects. And we'll go into a few of those specifics a little later. Um, but I was wondering, do you think we've gone through this three months plus, uh, some churches are still closed, do you think this post-COVID church looking forward to when the doors are open, do you think going through all that we are going through now will be a time when more leaders and churches re-examine who they are and what they do? I, I certainly pray that that will be the case, Stuart, because I think that's a very 
I think this is a very healthy thing to do. This is a great opportunity uh, to do that. We may discover some things about ourselves that we realize are not what they ought to be. But I've been in a lot of meetings with pastors uh, online in webinars and prayer groups and things like that. And I don't hear much talk about that. What, they just want to get back to what it was? How can we get back to the way things were? And, you know, I, I keep asking the question, you know, why do we want to get back to the way things were? The way things were, we were losing members. The way things were, we were not winning people to Christ. The way things were, we were not keeping pace with the culture and certainly not exerting much of the way of real influence on it. Why do we want to go back there? And nobody seems to have uh, uh, either a willingness or an ability to address that question in a meaningful way. Uh, this is, I think, an opportunity for us. And I think it's really excellent that you're putting this podcast out for, to make people think about what is this going to look like after this is all over. I, I think this is a great opportunity for people to, to go back and ask about the three basic functions of the church, worship, disciple-making, and mission. What do the scriptures say? You know, when, when Moses went up on the mountain to get the tablets of the Lord, in addition to the Ten Commandments, God gave him instructions about how to build a dwelling place for him in the midst of his people. And he said to Moses four times, be sure that you build it according to the pattern revealed to you on the mount. So when, when Moses came down from the mountain, he said to the people, God wants to dwell in our midst and make us his own unique, distinct people. And yes, we're all about that. And, and furthermore, Moses said, God has given us specific instructions as to how we can make that happen. But I know that you people know a lot about getting things done too. You have lots of good ideas and things that you'd like to see happen. So let's form some committees and get some teams together and figure out how to make this work. No, he didn't do that at all. And yet that's what we do. God says, Jesus says, I will build my church. And here's what worship looks like. And here's what disciple making looks like. And here's what mission looks like. And we say, thanks, Jesus. That's great. But you know what? We have some good ideas too. And our good ideas are frankly causing us to fall way behind, even to the point where I think we could say that the underbelly of this culture that is now showing itself in such ugly fashion during this time the responsibility and the blame for that can be in many ways laid at the feet of the church. And on the threshold of our church doors, we have failed to be the salt and light and leaven that we've been called to be because we're so bound up in the culture of our time that we can't be the church that Christ has made us to be. I'm a little bit impassioned about this, Stuart. <laughs> I love it. Our, our guest is Tia Bohr, author and theologian. Um, and what you're talking about is, it sounds to me, your opinion, the church is not focused enough, for example, on those three keys. Don't do what you're not built to do, correct? True. But again, it's not just that. It is, let's say that we accept those as the three, the three aspects of life in the church, and that is worship, disciple-making, and mission. The next question is, what does the scripture say about this? Just for one example. When it comes to the work of disciple-making, the pattern that Jesus established and passed on to the disciples, which the disciples embraced, is a pattern that can be summarized under the rubric of shepherding. Caring for every individual member of the flock of God so that they grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ 
accept the calling to take up their cross and follow him and live for Jesus in every area of their lives as kingdom seekers and citizens and ambassadors. And that work of shepherding Jesus outlined carefully in John chapter 10, but also in the example of his own ministry, as has been carefully observed by people like Robert E. Coleman and others in the Master Plan of Evangelism. It's every person having someone over them to nurture them in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a personal, relational oversight of people caring for them, building them up in the Lord and in the most holy faith. But that's not what we do. First you of all, we don't really define discipleship. We don't define what a disciple is very well. And then we make discipleship optional by offering programs that people can sign up for if they want to. Not, not necessary for them to do so, but if they want to. And then we leave it to them to make themselves disciples rather than to put them under the caring love of shepherds who are working daily to make them disciples. Sorry. And you are, you are critical of church leadership for not doing it right and their responsibility. Um, how would you outline the better way to do that discipleship piece? Well, I can say, for example, when Susie and I were in a church in Baltimore for nine years, I was a senior pastor. We divided that church into 12 geographic groups. Each geographic group was overseen by an elder and a deacon, at least one deacon, sometimes two. And these elders were trained for the purpose of making these people disciples, visiting the heads of the household. They visit them at their workplace or visit them in their home, meeting with the people in their homes, getting the groups together to meet as groups, and, and having that kind of an in-home, in-neighborhood focus on discipleship where we were working together to help people grow into the kind of people that Jesus wants them to be. You didn't sign up to be in a shepherd group. You were assigned to one. You didn't ask whether you wanted your shepherd to come and visit you. He came and visited you. And if you look at the literature on shepherding and the work even of elders over the past couple of hundred years, you can find a lot of examples in people like David Dixon and others about the work of shepherding that takes just this kind of work. Elders visiting with people in their homes, visiting with men in their workplace, and helping them to grow, knowing where they are spiritually, teaching them how to do the to participate in the disciplines of grace, the word and prayer, and making sure that they're growing, praying for these people, so forth. It's that it's that relational, personal contact in situ, and not in some classroom in a church where some expert is lecturing from behind a lectern. That's not how you make disciples, but that's what we do. A lot of what you're talking about, sounds to me, uh, is also decentralizing, empowering the laity, well-trained and focused. Uh, is it that we are too uh, staff-driven? Is that one of the problems? Uh, it is. Uh, I think that is one of the problems, but also the fact that we're, we're, we're not, uh, for example, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, you hear a lot of talk about churches and homes. That wasn't just a matter of expediency because they didn't have buildings. That was simply the way the Lord wanted it to be done. And the, the fact that the Christian movement grew and expanded for over 200 years in that kind of a framework, before we really started seeing any church buildings in the Roman Empire, uh, that to me indicates that this is a kind of a framework, a kind of a format, a template for doing church dispersed in neighborhoods, in the homes of church leaders that we should 
take into consideration again. Francis Chan writes about that in his book, Letters to the Church. And I think he's on to some very important things. I know other ministries that are emphasizing a new thrust toward organizing larger churches in terms of smaller churches, house churches. And that's a very good emphasis. I think I wish we would see more of that during this time. Our guest, T.M. Moore, he's written his latest book, his 30th plus, <laughs> The Church Captive. Uh, I interviewed uh, Reverend Robert Hahn. You told me about him at Chesapeake Church. He was very blunt. He said, if you're not going to serve, you're not going to be comfortable here at the church. And he tells them that. And that should be the model, though. <laughs> I, I love Robert and his ministry. You know, in most churches, when in, in the inside the, the narthex, they, they have a, a little sign that says, welcome. You know, the visitors feel welcome. It doesn't say that in Robert's church. It says in Robert's church, we've been expecting you. And they mean that because they pray for these people and they reach out to these people in so many different kinds of ways. And so when these people show up, it's like, oh, glad you're here. We've been expecting you. And I love that sort of mentality, but you don't see that in many churches. Most uh, acknowledge that there'll be a shakeout uh, because of uh, this pandemic with churches closed for so long, uh, fewer churches. Do you think one of the upsides will be that more churches will cooperate or is that just wishful thinking? I think it's going to take a lot more than what we're experiencing now to break that barrier down. And this to me is one of the biggest tragedies of the captivity of contemporary church is that we have embraced the denominationalism that uh, sprang to life during the Protestant Reformation and has multiplied itself like a cancer since then. So that churches and local communities don't have anything to do with one another. Jesus said, when they see your oneness, they will believe that the Father has sent me. And we do everything to keep that from happening. I know there are places as, for example, in Wichita, Kansas now, where churches and pastors are coming together on a regular basis in large auditoriums to worship and to pray and to be visible as the one body of Christ. That should be happening regularly in every community where there are Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches, they should be working for ways to come together and demonstrate the visible oneness of Christ, both in worship, but then also in witness and service in the larger community. I'm not sure we're thinking about that. Oh, I sure hope that we, we would be, Stuart. Hopefully wouldn't a program, that be, like, yours, that that a would program be the, like yours can sow that idea into some people to think about ways we can do this. That would also be the, the wonderful witness uh, crossing racial barriers, too. That's, that's the most obvious. Absolutely. That certainly would do that. How best will a post-COVID church answer um, culture's rejection of so many foundational biblical principles, such as the, the family is a married man and woman, or the existence of absolute truth? How best can that, the post-COVID church uh, answer this increasing cry that is... Um, counter to the Bible. I used to have a coach in college <laughs> and we would come whining to him about our place on the depth chart. You know, we, we weren't on the first team or the second team. We need to be moved up. And he would just shake his head and say, boys, what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And you know, the church needs to take that to heart. If we were a more, more the example of the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom of God flourishing and abounding in our congregations, in our families, 
into the workplaces, neighborhoods of our communities. If we showed that more in our lives and in our time together, we wouldn't have to argue with people and answer all kinds of objections to the gospel. We would have people asking us, how can I get in on this? That, in fact, is the image that you see in both Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4. As the people of God living according to the holy and righteous, loving God and loving neighbors, law of God are dispersed into the community. They're in contact with people that then draws them up to the mountain of the Lord's house. And the people say, hey, let's go there and learn about what we're seeing and experiencing from these people. So we need to have more of the reality of Christ at work within us and of the kingdom of God unfolding in and through us. And that needs to be what people experience from us and see in us as much as what they hear from us. What we do matters. And doesn't exactly. that flow out of what you're talking about as far as discipleship, right? Won't that be a yes, natural it does. response? Well, that is the end of discipleship is that overflowing, like Jesus talked about in John 7, of spiritual life from us to refresh the people around us. A lot of the focus uh, of your latest book, uh, The Church of uh, the Captive, uh, is this idea of the priesthood of the believers, getting members engaged. Um, how best to do that, especially uh, if the leaders may not be in that mode. What do, what do you recommend? The, the most important thing any pastor or church leader can do consistently for the people entrusted to his care is connect those people with Jesus. Make sure they know how to come to Jesus, how to be in his presence, how to see him exalted in his beauty, how to commune with him, how to participate in him, how to have that living contact with Jesus. Because if we can connect people with Jesus, Jesus will do the rest. We think we can cajole people and we think we can give them step-by-step -step things and how to do this and all kinds of patch on things to make them better Christians. But we're not connecting them to Jesus. We're not giving them that vision of Christ that you see, for example, in the writings of Jonathan Edwards, as well as in throughout the whole period of the, of the Celtic revival this whole vision of Christ and, and people connecting with Christ in ways that suddenly they know they belong to him and they want nothing more than to live for him and grow in him. So in our preaching, in our disciple making, in our times together, we have to concentrate on focusing on Jesus, connecting with Jesus and waiting for the Lord to do that work in us that only he can do. What about the laity? If they're not seeing that from the leaders, what can they do? to make it happen. Obviously they could just leave and go to another church, but if they want to stay there and they want to help leadership do what they're not doing, how, how do you recommend that happen? Well, of course they need to make sure themselves that they have taken up those practices, those disciplines that make that connecting to Jesus possible. That time daily reading and meditating in the word of God, those times of prayer spread throughout the course of the day, singing to the Lord and so forth, taking seriously the fact that he is with us always, even to the end of the age, and that we are with him where he is, seated at the Father's right hand. And using all of the gifts and abilities that God has given us in scripture, in prayer, in singing, in worship, to connect with Jesus as we're able to do so. I mean, he, can, he can take it from there. He really is quite capable of doing that. For his spirit lives in every true believer, his word is before us, and he can unpack and do that work within us to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I think every Christian needs to ask themselves, am I really connecting with Jesus? Am I really seeking Jesus? And, uh, you know, I think 
every morning when we get up, we should put our feet on the floor on the side of our bed and we should say like those ancient Greeks did to the apostles, sir, we would see Jesus. Show me Jesus today and I'll follow him. A lot of what you talk about is um, keeping it simple, isn't it? Getting back to the basics, focusing, and then executing, right? It is simple, but it's also very difficult yeah. because we're lazy and self-centered and we want easy ways out. We're looking for convenience, not struggle and all those kinds of things. And we don't realize that the great joy of our salvation comes from being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you have to fight through a lot of distractions and break a lot of old habits to be able to do that consistently. But we can't. And the Lord is ready to help us by his spirit. We need one another in this endeavor. We need leaders who understand that this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And uh, I think this is a great time to be thinking about these kinds of things, talking about these kinds of things. I'm so grateful that God has raised you up, Stuart, at this time to begin putting these thoughts and ideas into the minds of pastors and church leaders about how can we learn what God wants us to learn during this period so that coming out of it, we can be a catalyst for revival and renewal and awakening in our time. Thank you, TM. TM Moore has been uh, my guest today on the Post-COVID Church podcast. His latest book, The Church Captive, and there will be a link on our post showing you how to get it. Uh, thank you, TM, for coming, for uh, sharing. Uh, you've uh, lived what you're talking about, and uh, thank you for sharing it with the listeners. My privilege. Thank you very much, Stuart, and God bless you, brother. The mission of the post-COVID church is helping the church plan and serve the post-pandemic world. Thank you for being a part of the post-COVID church podcast. Welcome to the post-COVID church podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. Thank you for listening to the post-COVID church podcast. For more, go to the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook.